team. They're uh, they're practicing every Wednesday night, and they're getting better and better, and I'm so thankful for them, and I uh, hope you are. Uh, it's so encouraging to, to know what God has uh, done in such a short amount of time uh, here at Cross Life, and so uh, I invite you right now to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter number 15, we're going to be uh, looking at just another small section uh, of this scripture today, verses 17 through 20. Um, just going to keep chipping away at it. I, I want to start this morning off with just a, another uh, simple truth to you, and, and, and it'll kind of lead us into the message a little bit. But it's one thing to be uh, filled with regret and know that you need help. Uh, it's something else entirely different to actually ask for the help or to get help. Uh, we avoid... Uh, getting help at all costs, do we not? Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a, a self-help culture, uh, which trains us to think that we are individuals and shouldn't have to depend on other people or anybody to actually help us. Uh, we don't like to run towards help, uh, maybe because it makes us feel weak or we don't want people to know that we need help. Uh, we want people to think that uh, we are strong. We want people to find us maybe uh, impressive uh, at times. To ask for help sometimes means that uh, we have to surrender control. Uh, sometimes if we ask for help, we may feel indebted to the person that may be helping us. And because of these things and maybe many other factors, we might realize that we have regret but still fail to actually run towards the help. Sometimes not asking for help may not seem that big of a deal. Whether you get help on interior decorating, God knows I need help with that, uh, or matching your clothes, some days I need help with that. Um, it isn't the end of the world whether or not you ask for help or not. But sometimes... If we really ask ourselves, the stakes are sometimes higher. And we're in the middle of this sermon series this morning um, that, that's about the awakenings that we journey on to find ourselves back to God. In week one, we uh, talked about this thing called the awakening uh, to longing. And we all have the, the longing uh, to find freedom and to find pleasure, uh, a longing to, to maybe find purpose when life just doesn't seem to make sense. We awakening to longing when we begin to realize that these longings are God-given and can only be met in relationship with uh, Him. But we all know today that too often we look to satisfy these longings in other places, do we not? You know, we think about it like the prodigal son in this story. We set off to find fulfillment a lot of times on our own terms. But time and time again, we're met with uh, a disappointment. This disappointment that leads to our second awakening that uh, we went over last week, which was the awakening to regret. And in this awakening, we, we came to a crossroads um, that's going to move us into one of two directions. Uh, one of two ways. Unfortunately, many of us, if we think about it, we move in the direction of what we called 
the sorry cycle where we're always in this thing uh, of an endless cycle of longing and regret, longing and regret. And some may have lived out uh, this entertainment cycle as we've bounced from one show to the next. Uh, anybody watch a lot of shows at home? Um, man, there's like four of you, okay? That's cool. Tiff, you're, you're not alone. There's four of them with you uh, this morning. Uh, I don't watch a lot of shows. She does. Um, I don't know how she keeps up with 40 storylines every week. I get lost in one, and I'm like, hey, what just happened? Uh, but she does, okay? Some of you go from one show to the next. Some may have lived it out. Uh, shopping, okay? Anybody like to shop? Okay, some of you like to shop, and, and we slide our credit cards from one store to the next. And we don't, and it doesn't bother us. Some may have even lived it out, maybe in a previous life where you went to the bar and going from one drink to the next, and, and you just you drank the sorrows away. And we get caught up in this continuous pattern of searching for fulfillment on our own terms and finding disappointment, searching again and again, thinking this time it's going to be different. This relationship is going to be different. And then finding ourselves once again wallowing in what we would call regret. Most of us have taken a spin or two in the sorry cycle. I know I have. And, and we get caught up into the cycle even years after we become what we would call the Christ follower. And I think we've grown to believe that as a Christ follower, life will be perfect. But unfortunately... Most of the time, it's the complete opposite. These awakenings, they're not just something that happens the first time. It's not just something that happens and we find our way back to God. They're awakenings that we need to come back to time and time and time again. It's kind of like the 12 steps of somebody uh, going through to Alcoholics Anonymous. Anybody ever heard of that before? Uh, I had a grandfather, and I'll tell you about that story in a moment, but are the, the 12 steps uh, something like this alcoholic goes through and, and once it's cured? No. You know, they, they go through it, and they have to go through it over and over and over again. A person trying to break free from this addiction, they work over these 12 steps, and it's because they're weak? No. Is it because they didn't learn the first time? No. But it's because they're in this ending cycle of training to become the, the better person. And maybe in our sense, the better person that God wants us to be. And these awakenings are like that too. We have to come back to it time and time again. Anybody know what the first step towards sobriety is? We, we admit that we are powerless over our addiction. And um, it's another way of saying we can't do it on our own. You know, talk to, talk to anybody who has struggled with an addiction or who works with an addict, and they'll most likely tell you that 80% of the battle is within the first step. Within the first step. Uh, I, I remember growing up, I had a grandfather who was an alcoholic. Um, and, and luckily, I, once I was born, uh, he, he tapered off of that. But I, I remember hearing stories growing up of 
him being abusive towards my mom and towards my grandmother. And over and over and over again, how he loved my grandmother and he loved my mom. But time and time again, alcohol just ruined his life. But then mom and dad started having kids. And he wanted to be better. And so he, he checked himself into what was called the Samaritan's Colony in Ellerbee, North Carolina. And when he passed away, uh, he had served 36 years uh, sober. I'm 32, so four years before I was even born, he checked himself in. This would have been when my brother, uh, my, my oldest brother, or my youngest, my, my middle brother would have been four. Uh, my, my oldest brother saw a lot of this. And luckily, you know, going through my childhood, I didn't, I didn't have to go through it, but, but I lived part of it. And I remember going to the ceremonies where he would get even his 10-year badge, and we would celebrate. And then 15 years, I didn't understand those things. You see, like I'm like, oh man, he, he's, he got another year. Well, what's the big deal? When he got 30 years, I was like, you know, 30 years, what's the big deal? Like, it's been 30 years since he's taken a drink of alcohol. To him, it was a big deal. To him, he had, he had like, conquered it all. And I remember going through that and seeing the battle, and he, and he told me, at his 30th year, Thomas, I fight the battle of addiction every day, even after 30 years. So asking for help isn't easy, is it? I can't tell you how many things that I've broken and how many hours I've wasted by refusing to ask for help. You know, if I were to take it deeper, I can't, I can't tell you how much more I would have been able to love my wife and even my child at times if I would have just decided not to sit and wallow in my regret and move towards the step of help sooner. It tends to take us a long time to outgrow stubbornness, does it not? Author Richard Rohr said this, We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. But maybe today you're tired of pulling on a door that just doesn't seem to want to open. Maybe today you're ready to break free from what we call the cycle. In this third awakening, we're going to find new direction. The third awakening can change the course. And this third awakening is an awakening to find help. To find help. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. Jesus, once again speaking. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So when this prodigal son came to his senses, hey, he decided to turn his life around. He wanted to do it. The biblical word for this is what? Repentance. <laughs> he wanted repentance. Last week we talked about this importance of confession. Going to God and confessing our sin. Repentance takes confession one step further. 
It's not only about confessing the realization that the direction that we're heading is taking us further away from God, but repentance implies turning away from those destructive, uh, the, 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 uh, the destructive choices and turning back to our Heavenly Father. Try to say destructive choices five times fast. Uh, after the son came to his senses, he got up and he went to his father. Hey, he went home. And for us, repentance means the same thing. We go home. It's the decision to return to the father, to come back home. This third awakening is an absolute game changer. It's in this step that we stop trying to fix things ourselves, stop trying to prove ourselves, stop trying to do things on our own, stop trying to find fulfillment by ourselves. And in this awakening, we come to realize that I can't do this life on my own. I just can't. Listen, I can't do pastoring on my own. It's only through God that I can do it. Only by His grace am I able to do my job. That's it. Only by the support of my wife am I able to give what I'm able to give. Only by the support of my family am I able to go the way that I go. That's it. And so it's a, it's a game changer. The, the prayer of this third awakening is that, Heavenly Father, would you make yourself real to me? Awaken me in my willingness to turn to you for help. So number one this morning is we must admit to ourselves that we simply need help. That we simply need help. When this young man came to his senses in this moment, he was moved to turn his regret into what we would call confession. By confessing our regrets, it isn't enough, is it? You can become the most raw and the most vulnerable, maybe even the most open person in all of this world, confessing to everybody what your regrets are. But if that is all that you do, then you'll just be someone who is open with your regret, but actually never experience the transformation of receiving help. You know, confessing your regrets is one thing. But again, why, why don't people like to get help? Why is it so hard to get help? Are they scared of what it's going to cost them? The way the person helping them is going to view them? Listen, it can be scary. Nobody wants to know, nobody wants to know my baggage. Look, I, I don't like telling my wife my struggles. Better yet, telling some stranger my struggles. Last week, we talked about the Facebook page that you could go anonymously and just post all of your regrets on. You know, yeah, may, maybe for a, a moment after you post that regret, you, you may feel a, a moment of, of sly relief. But it's still, you're still carrying it. You're not letting go of it. But listen, when my knees hit the altar and I give it over to God, when I stand back up, I've given it to Him. There are moments in my life that I have given things over to God, and as soon as I get back up on my feet, it's an instantaneous gone. It's gone. The care is gone. Because I know God takes care of those needs, and He will help. The truth is this, though. 
if everyone understood the truth about God, about the God that is waiting for us to run home with our regrets and receive help, we wouldn't hesitate to run home. What kind of God do we find when we come back home? What kind of Father is actually waiting on us? Look at Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and went or came to his Father. I want to stop there. When, when, when you truly believe that you can't do it on your own, then the only logical thing to do is to get up out of your mud and pit that you are in. It's one thing to confess today that you need help. It is a completely different thing altogether to actually act upon the realization, right? You know, realizing you need help isn't enough. Now, regret isn't enough. Confessing it isn't enough. Some of us are here today, and we're filled with nothing but regret. We've realized that for some time. That's why we're here. Uh, you didn't roll out of bed today and come here because you thought you had it all together. Uh, you came here because there are things in your life that you just, you just can't simply overcome on your own, and you don't want to stay stuck there anymore. We come to be filled up with the Spirit of the Lord. But there are those days... That it gets so hard, that, that, that it gets uh, difficult to actually stand up on your feet and get out of the bed. Anybody had a day like that this week? Yeah, now I see more hands, more hands than watching those TV shows. Yeah, like we have those days. Monday morning goes on. Clock goes off at 5.30 in the morning. Ain't one of us wanting to wake up. And if you are, you're weird. <laughs> Nobody wants to wake up on Monday morning and go to work. No. We all battle it every day. We battle, we battle, we battle. But what do we do? We get up. We get up for battle. And we fight it another day. Sunday morning rolls around. This time, you got to get up at like 8.30. And all of a sudden, like, it feels like 3.30. And you're like, I'm staying in the bed. I'm not going to church today. It's easy to say no to that. Church doesn't bring a paycheck. But what does church bring? Church brings a relationship. Church brings a closeness. Church brings a family. Church brings everything that, that, that uh, has, has all of the, the, the meaning behind it. <laughs> Listen, I don't get up on Monday morning to draw a paycheck from the church. That's not why I do my job. I, <laughs> the church could go bankrupt today, and Pastor Thomas would do his job for free. Like that, That's me. That's who I am. Because I love the Lord. I love what I do. I love ministry. Ministry is my passion. Ministry is my calling. Now, it's different for you. Some of you, you have to get up. But people don't understand the, the calling of ministry. They just don't. I, I get led by the Spirit. I left what, what many would call a, a dream job for a pastor to come to a place that we didn't know there was anything out here. We didn't know there was going to be anybody come to a church. 
we just felt the calling of the Lord. It's a big difference when we when we awaken to find ourselves in, in, in this moment of of help and, and and understand the calling that God has put on our life. It's a totally different feeling. But there are those days that we get up and we get on our feet and we feel so energized and ready to go. That regret or shame, maybe even pride, they can feel so heavy at times that we just want to roll back over. But, but listen, church, the next time that you feel like you need to roll back over, just remember what Jesus did for you. Just remember the cost that he paid for you. Until we stand up and we turn and we walk in the other direction, we'll stay exactly where we are, which is going to lead us to number two today. We must turn from our rebellion. And run back to God for help. This is a hard one. This is where it gets difficult. But I believe that the thing that keeps most people scared of doing this. Is that they are scared of what they're going to be walking into. Does anybody like walking into the unknown? I don't know of many people that would say yes to that question. Would anybody take a job without seeing the job description? Would you take a full-time job with all these benefits and everything? Like, hey, we promise you this, 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 and this, but you don't know what your job's going to be? I don't know many people that would take that job. People don't want to walk into a cobweb of problems. People don't want to walk into what we would call a bomb of emotion. We're naturally looking out for our own preservation. We might realize that we need help, but we don't want to get crushed in our walk towards it. And then what's essential to coming home is to understand the nature of home. And what is essential to come home is to understand the nature of the host of the home, which is the father, the God that we run back to. The last part of verse 20. He rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and he had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. Who is waiting for us to return? It's the God who runs. Understand, this, this is a big deal. You see, in the first century, in the Middle East, to see a father running would have been absolutely an undignified and, and humiliating thing in that time. First of all, to run, the father would have had to pull up the bottom of his rope exposing his naked legs, which you did not do. That in itself was a cultural shame. But what's more grown and important, respected men didn't run anywhere. They didn't, they didn't run anywhere. People, people came to them. They're not the other way around. It isn't very different for us today. Like how weird would it be to see the news coverage of the Air Force One dropping down on Fox News, CNN channels, and President Biden getting off the Air Force One, instead of walking off the Air Force One, he comes sprinting across the parking lot to meet the world leader, whoever he's meeting. Like, how weird would that be? That would be weird. Like, can you imagine that? Like, now me, you would expect me to run. I got no importance. But somebody like him? We expect him to take his gingerly old time. Because he's like a famous dude. Like, he's president. Even, even somebody like Michael Jordan 
isn't getting off his plane and running across the parking lot. Now, if he was on a basketball court, he might. But he's going to take his time. Showing up for the national championship. Basketball players run all the time, but when they show up for the big game, what are they doing? They're walking off the bus. They're not sprinting into the arena. They're going to pull a hamstring, then they can't play the game. Oh, like, that's what's happening. So, so in this time, that, that, was, that was not what would happen. And so in the Middle East, that didn't happen. Culturally, wrong. In our, in our time today, it would be weird, wrong. And there's something else significant about the running father. As Jesus tells this story, his audience would have had a hard time imagining uh, this scene that he's painting. You see, in their day, this boy had taken their father's money, squandered it among the Gentiles, and they would have had experienced a very different reception as he made his way back home. Typically, that person uh, of the town would have intercepted him at the town gates and performed this ceremony. And Tiff, I could have forgot how you say this word. Kazaza. Is that right? Kazaza. We were trying to figure out how to say that word yesterday. And this is how the ceremony was going to go. Okay? They would let him into the village, but outside the gates, they would take this clay pot. And I forgot my clay pot this morning. And they would take the clay pot and they would smash it. They would smash the clay pot in front of the boy. And they say something like this. You have broken our community. You are now cut off from us. Now never return. And they would ask him to go his separate way. And never again would he be allowed to go into that community. This is the reception the son would have expected. Maybe that's the, uh, the expectation of the son. Maybe that's the reception that the son deserved. But the father didn't care about any of that. Day after day, the father scanning the horizon, trying to catch a glimpse of his son, trying to look out for his son. His friends were probably telling him, forget about that worthless, ungrateful, so-called son that you have. Most probably encouraged him to move on from him. But he wouldn't stop watching. He wouldn't stop longing. He wouldn't stop waiting on his son's return. And when he sees him on the horizon, what does he do? He takes off running for him. He takes off running for his son. He humiliates himself in front of his neighbors and runs to his boy to protect this boy from this thing called Kazaza. And, and, and before anybody can say, you're cut off from us, the father embraces his son and showers him with all of the kisses that many of you would do with your own child. But we can see something else from these verses today. Number three, a proper view of the Father will help us come home. Let me ask you this. Do you understand that this is the God who waits for you? That this is the God who actually runs to you? When we come to the point where we admit that we've blown it, and we recognize that I need help, this is how God responds to us. This is the God that we're going to find. The God who runs to meet us with open arms, with acceptance, with kisses of love, with tears of joy. The image of a father running to his son reminds me of a story of the Olympic athlete Derek Redmond. And maybe you've never heard of Derek Redmond before, but Redmond's running career was frustrated by injury. 
And by the time of the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, he had undergone five uh, operations, including one on his Achilles tendon, less than four months before he was going to run in the big race. In Barcelona, everything seemed to be coming together for him to make his magnificent run. And it was, it was probable that Redmond was going to win that race. He was running well in all of the heats running up to Barcelona. He was winning all of his heats. He recorded to the fastest time of the first round, and he won the quarterfinal heat. As the gun went off in the semifinal race, Derek got off to a clean start and was running smoothly when about 150 meters into the race, his right hamstring muscle tore, and he fell to the ground. But he knew that he had to finish the race. And Redmond jumped up. He began hobbling forward despite all of the pain that he felt. And it was at this moment that one of the most touching things that you'll ever see happen. And I want you to watch this. Olympics and you go to find that race you won't really find out who wins that race all you'll find is that video but that's what really mattered it was a father who helped his son a man who ran to help church I have no idea who got the gold medal um, but people will never forget that scene a scene of a, of a father running to his son and carrying him 
to the finish line. God is the Father who runs to His children. But we don't just learn about a God from the Father in the story. We also learn about God through the storyteller. The most important step in our awakening to help is to meet the narrator of the story. And the whole reason Jesus told the story of the prodigal son in the first place was to help us find our way back to God. And the reason that he knows so much about finding God is because he is God. He's not some remote God who is out there and doesn't really care about what's going on in, in, in our lives, but a God who is present and a God who is active. He's a relational God, and He's close to all of us. And you see, when, when we awaken to help and decide to come home, we're going to discover something that help has a name. That the name of help is Jesus. And Jesus is the God who is with us. He was sent by God and lived among us and was one of us, fully God and fully human. And God wrote himself into our story by coming in the person of Jesus. And if we want to know what kind of God is waiting for us, when we get back to him, we find him in the person of Jesus. In him, we will find a God who is present. A God in, who is present, promising to never leave us on our own. A God who is full of grace, refusing to condemn us when it's deserved. A God who is humble, bending down to, to care for our needs. A God who is for us, sacrificing himself when we were helpless to save ourselves. Help has a name, and it's Jesus. But what kind of God is waiting for us when we come back to him? It's the God that we see is Jesus. Maybe for you today. Today is the day that we find our way back to Him. Now, now's the time to come home. Throughout this series, we've challenged you with this 21 days of prayer. And listen, if you haven't been doing it, shame on you. I've been, I've been taking my time. I've been typing up these prayer prompts for you on Facebook, on the private page every morning for you. I, I'm doing it for you so that you can spend time in prayer. And if you don't have access to the, to the private page, I'm sorry. Like, not shame on you for that. <laughs> That's shame on me. You're off the hook. But if you are on that public or on that private page, you need to be reading it. Because for 21 days, we're asking you to pray the prayer. Heavenly Father, make yourself real to me. Make yourself real to me. Like, until you get real with God, He will not get real with you. If you've been praying that prayer consistently, my question is, are you seeing God show up in your life? Are you seeing Him show up in ways that you haven't seen? Chances are He's making Himself known if you're looking for Him. Maybe He's making Himself known to you right now. Maybe it's time to come home. Perhaps you've been off in this far country doing some expensive living. You've chased a lot of things, looking for freedom, looking for purpose, looking for, for pleasure you long for, but all you have left at the end of the day is, is regret. Maybe you've been hesitant to return. Pride has kept you from, from admitting some things that you can't do on your own. Or perhaps it's been shame knowing that you've been and what you've done. You, you've lived your, your own kind of kazaza telling yourself that you can't return. But I want to say clearly to you today, you can always come home. 
There's a God who is scanning the horizon right now, watching for you, who took the shame and humiliation of your sin on Himself, on the cross, who longs for you to return. And if you choose to come home today, He will run to you. He will welcome you with open arms. And you will find that He has a name, and His name is Jesus. And if you are ready to awaken to help, we want to give you a tangible, a tangible opportunity to do just that today. Maybe, number one, you've never made a commitment to Jesus. Maybe you think you have, but you never have. And my, my question is, do you know Him? Has there ever been a time, has there ever been a place that you've given your life to Jesus? God is answering your prayer and making Himself real to you. And you know you need to make the decision today to come home. Or maybe you've never made the decision to follow Jesus uh, through the obedient act of baptism. Maybe today you're there, you're sitting there, and you're saying, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but I've never made a public profession. And if that's you today, I'm asking you to be bold, step out, and make it public. It's not doing us any good to hold it in. It's not doing you any good. Throughout Scripture, baptism is the way that people publicly acknowledge that they need to repent and come home. I can fill that baptistry any week. You just let me know. Number two, for others of us who may have already made a commitment to Jesus, but maybe you've wandered from it. Maybe you're so far, maybe you feel like you're so far in left field, there's no way that you can come home. You found yourself at the end of the sorry cycle of longing and regret that you want out. You're ready to admit that you can't do it on your own, that you need to surrender to the one who wants more for your life than we can ever imagine. Surrender is not giving up nearly as much as it's giving to. And the one that we're giving to is Jesus. We're giving Him our will. We're giving Him our heart. Asking Him to make us new again. We're asking Him for our leadership and for direction. We're asking Jesus to save from us. So today we're going to ask that you take a step out and, and encourage and you say, I need help. I'm ready. I'm ready to return to the Father. And I'm coming home. As the worship team comes, musicians start to play. If you want to come home today, I ask you to come here to the front. Somebody's going to be up here to pray for you. It takes courage to get help. It takes courage to stand up and walk the aisle and say, Heavenly Father, make yourself real to me. Awaken me into reality that I'm the one in this place that needs your help. So during this invitational time, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you today that, that needs to be coming back and running to the Father. You need to run to the arms of the Father. And let me tell you, you got a, you got a God who wants to run to your arms. He wants to embrace you today. He wants to love you today. We have the altar open. If you come, if you need to come, I'm here to pray with you. I need to pray with you. You can pray for us. The worship team's going to lead us in song. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.